Clause 2, Qualifications of Members No person shall be a representative who shall not have attained to the age of 25 years and been seven years a citizen of the United States, and who shall, when elected, be an inhabitant of that state in which he shall be chosen. The Constitution provides three requirements for representatives, a representative must be at least 25 years old, must be an inhabitant of the state in which he or she is elected, and must have been a citizen of the United States for the previous seven years. There is no requirement that a representative reside within the district in which he or she represents, although this is usually the case, there have been occasional exceptions. The Supreme Court has interpreted the Qualifications Clause as an exclusive list of qualifications that cannot be supplemented by a House of Congress exercising its Section 5 authority to judge the qualifications of its own members or by a state in its exercise of its Section 4 authority to prescribe the times, places and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives. The Supreme Court, as well as other federal courts, have repeatedly barred states from additional restrictions, such as imposing term limits on members of Congress, allowing members of Congress to be subject to recall elections, or requiring that representatives live in the congressional district in which they represent. A 2002 Congressional Research Service report also found that no state could implement a qualification that a representative not be a convicted felon or incarcerated. However, the United States Supreme Court has ruled that certain ballot access requirements, such as filing fees and submitting a certain number of valid petition signatures do not constitute additional qualifications and thus few constitutional restrictions exist as to how harsh ballot access laws can be. Finally, although the U.S. Constitution places no restrictions on state or local office holders simultaneously holding federal office, most state constitutions today effectively ban state and local office holders from also holding federal office at the same time by prohibiting federal office holders from also holding state and local office. Unlike other state-mandated restrictions, these sorts of prohibitions are constitutional as long they are enforced purely at the state level, for example against active federal office holders seeking to obtain or hold a state or local office. Clause 3, Apportionment of Representatives and Taxes Representatives and direct taxes shall be apportioned among the several states which may be included within this union, according to their respective numbers, which shall be determined by adding to the whole number of free persons, including those bound to service for a term of years, and excluding Indians not taxed, three-fifths of all other persons. The actual enumeration shall be made within three years after the first meeting of the Congress of the United States, and within every subsequent term of ten years, in such manner as they shall by law direct. The number of representatives shall not exceed one for every 30,000, but each state shall have at least one representative, and until such enumeration shall be made, the state of New Hampshire shall be entitled to choose three, Massachusetts eight, Rhode Island and Providence Plantations one, Connecticut five, New York six, New Jersey four, Pennsylvania eight, Delaware one, Maryland six, Virginia ten, North Carolina five, South Carolina five, and Georgia three. After much debate, the framers of the Constitution decided to make population the basis of apportioning the seats in the House of Representatives and the tax liability among the states. To facilitate this, the Constitution mandates that a census be conducted every 10 years to determine the population of each state and of the nation as a whole and establishes a rule for who shall be counted or excluded from the count. As the new form of government would become operational prior to the completion of a national census, the Constitution also provides for a temporary apportionment of seats. Originally, the population of each state and of the nation as a whole was ascertained by adding to the whole number of free persons, three-fifths the number of all other persons, 
for example slaves, but excluding non-tax Native Americans. This constitutional rule, known as the Three-Fifths Compromise, was a compromise between southern and northern states in which three-fifths of the population of slaves would be counted for enumeration purposes and for the apportionment of seats in the House of Representatives and of taxes among the states. It was, according to Supreme Court Justice Joseph Story, writing in 1833, a matter of compromise and concession, confessedly unequal in its operation, but a necessary sacrifice to that spirit of conciliation, which was indispensable to the union of states having a great diversity of interests, and physical condition, and political institutions. Section 2 of the 14th Amendment, 1868, later superseded Article 1, Section 2, Clause 3 and explicitly repealed the Compromise. Following the completion of each census, Congress is empowered to use the aggregate population in all the states, according to the prevailing constitutional rule for determining population, to determine the relative population of each state to the population of the whole and, based on its calculations, to establish the appropriate size of the House and to allocate a particular number of representatives to each state according to its share of the national population. Since enactment of the Reapportionment Act of 1929, a constant 435 House seats have been apportioned among the states according to each census, and determining the size of the House is not presently part of the apportionment process. With one exception, the apportionment of 1842, the House of Representatives had been enlarged by various degrees from 65 members in 1788 to 435 members by 1913. The determination of size was made based on the aggregate national population, so long as the size of the House did not exceed one member for every 30,000 of the country's total population nor the size of any state's delegation exceed one for every 30,000 of that state's population. With the size of the House still fixed at 435, the current ratio, as of the 2020 census, is around one representative per 760,000 persons. However, after the 1920 census, Congress failed to apportion the House, with the House using the allocations of the Apportionment Act of 1911 until after the 1932 elections, which was the date determined by Congress after it passed and the President signed the Reapportionment Act of 1929. This resulted in the representation within the House to remain frozen for 20 years. Reapportionment of the House required Congress to pass a bill and the President to sign into law an act to reapportion the House from since the ratification of the Constitution up until 1941, which is when a self-executing statute was enacted, thus making reapportionment an automatic process. Although the first sentence in this clause originally concerned apportionment of both House seats and taxes among the several states, the 14th Amendment sentence that replaced it in 1868 mentioned only the apportionment of House seats. Even so, the constraint placed upon Congress's taxation power remained, as the restriction was reiterated in Article 1 Section 9 Clause 4. The amount of direct taxes that could be collected by the federal government from the people in any state would still be tied directly to that state's share of the national population. Due to this restriction, application of the income tax to income derived from real estate and specifically income in the form of dividends from personal property ownership such as stock shares was found to be unconstitutional because it was not apportioned among the states, that is to say, there was no guarantee that a state with 10% of the country's population paid 10% of those income taxes collected, because Congress had not fixed an amount of money to be raised and apportioned it between the states according to their respective shares of the national population. To permit the levying of such an income tax, Congress proposed and the states ratified the 16th Amendment, 
which removed the restriction by specifically providing that Congress could levy a tax on income from whatever source derived without it being apportioned among the states or otherwise based on a state share of the national population. Clause 4, Vacancies. When vacancies happen in the representation from any state, the executive authority thereof shall issue writs of election to fill such vacancies. Generally states and territories fill vacancies within the House of Representatives according to their own laws, however when vacancies within the House exceed 100 members, the Speaker of the House will announce extraordinary circumstances have occurred, which obligates the executive authority of all states with vacancies to hold a special election within 49 days of the announcement. This election is initiated via a writ of election from the Governor, 2 U.S.C. Section 8b. Clause 5, Speaker and Other Officers, Impeachment. The House of Representatives shall choose their Speaker and other officers, and shall have the sole power of impeachment. Section 2 further provides that the House of Representatives may choose its Speaker and its other officers. Though the Constitution does not mandate it, every Speaker has been a member of the House of Representatives. The Speaker rarely presides over routine House sessions, choosing instead to deputize a junior member to accomplish the task. Finally, Section 2 grants to the House of Representatives the sole power of impeachment. Although the Supreme Court has not had an occasion to interpret this specific provision, the Court has suggested that the grant to the House of the sole power of impeachment makes the House the exclusive interpreter of what constitutes an impeachable offense. This power, which is analogous to the bringing of criminal charges by a grand jury, has been used only rarely. The House has begun impeachment proceedings 62 times since 1789 and 20 federal officials have been formally impeached as a result, including, three presidents, Andrew Johnson, Bill Clinton, and Donald Trump, twice, one cabinet secretary, William W. Belknap, one senator, William Blunt, one Supreme Court associate justice, Samuel Chase, and 14 federal judges. Also, notably, impeachment proceedings compelled the resignation of President Richard Nixon. The Constitution does not specify how impeachment proceedings are to be initiated. Until the early 20th century, a House member could rise and propose an impeachment, which would then be assigned to a committee for investigation upon a formal resolution vote of the Judicial Committee. Presently, it is the House Judiciary Committee that initiates the process and then, after investigating the allegations, prepares recommendations for the whole House's consideration. If the House votes to adopt an impeachment resolution, managers are appointed by the House to serve as the prosecution team in the impeachment trial in the Senate. Section 3, Senate. Clause 1, Composition and Election of Senators. The Senate of the United States shall be composed of two senators from each state, chosen by the legislature thereof, for six years, and each senator shall have one vote. The first clause of Section 3 provides that each state is entitled to have two senators, who would be elected by its state legislature, now by the people of each state, serve for staggered six-year terms, and have one vote each. Through these provisions, adopted following the Connecticut Compromise, the framers sought to protect the sovereignty and interests of states. This clause has been superseded by the 17th Amendment, ratified in 1913, which, in part, provides as amended, that the Senate of the United States shall be composed of two senators from each state, elected by the people thereof, for six years, and each senator shall have one vote. Article 5 specifies the means by which the Constitution of the United States can be amended. It ends by shielding three Article 1 clauses from being amended. The clause guaranteeing equal representation is among them. The others are first and fourth clauses in Section 9, 
which were amendable after 1808, Article 5 provides that no state, without its consent, shall be deprived of its equal suffrage in the Senate. Thus, no individual state may have its individual representation in the Senate adjusted without its consent. That is to say, an amendment that directly changed this clause to provide that all states would get only one senator or three senators or any other number could become valid as part of the Constitution if ratified by three-fourths of the states, however, one that provided for some basis of representation other than strict numerical equality, for example population, wealth, or land area, would require the unanimous consent of all the states. Denying the states their intended role as joint partners in the federal government by abolishing their equality in the Senate would, according to Chief Justice Salmon P. Chase, in Texas v. White, destroy the grounding of the Union. This Article 5 provision has been employed by those opposed to contemplated constitutional amendments that would grant the District of Columbia full representation in the Congress without also granting it statehood. Their argument is that an amendment that would allow a non-state district to have two senators would deprive the states of their equal suffrage in the Senate and would therefore require unanimous ratification by all the states. Those in favor of the amendment have argued that the states are merely entitled to equal suffrage amongst one another, and that granting the federal district Senate representation does not violate that right. Whether unanimous consent of the 50 states would be required for such an amendment to become operative remains an unanswered political question.